You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Ann Hornaday, Chief Film Critic at the Washington Post, and I am delighted to be joined today by a titan in the entertainment world, someone whose career has spread across acting, directing, producing, making him one of the most nominated artists across multiple categories, including this morning's announcement of the BAFTA Awards for which Belfast received six. His latest film is a tribute to his own history, growing up in Belfast and ultimately leaving due to the tumult in the area. Here today to talk about converting his personal story into a coming of age film, I am pleased to introduce Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth, welcome. Hi, Anne, very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. Congratulations on the BAFTA noms. Thank you. We got, that was a very nice way to wake up this morning. A um, lot of excited people on our crew and cast back home, you know, jumping up and down. Um, it was really a, a wonderful thing. Just the film opened in the UK just uh, 10 days ago. And people are coming to the movies. They're, they're really, you know, so many people I've had messages saying I haven't been for two years. First time I've been in a crowd, but it felt like this story would speak to me. People who said I took my mom, I took my auntie. You know, it really, it's been an absolute thrill to see that happen. And God bless Spider-Man for encouraging people back in. And it seems like, you know, in our third January of a pandemic, you know, maybe with the way our relationship to the, to the, to the virus is happening back in the UK, it feels like people are just going, you know what, we want to go back to the movies. Well, that's fascinating. And I mean, we're all sort of involved now in that dance about when to go back and, and under what conditions. But this really, I, I can't agree more that this is, if you're going to go to a theater, if you feel safe enough and comfortable enough to go to a theater to see a movie, this one will reward you on so many levels, Include it because it's such a Valentine to cinema. Um, but, but speaking of the pandemic, can you, this is really a product of the pandemic in many ways in terms of the gestation of it. Um, it is a it's a memory piece, and like so many of us, when we were went into lockdown two years ago, we were sort of confronted in many ways with our memories. Um, we and we had the time and the space, space and the silence to sort of let them bubble up. Can you tell us a little bit about that process for you and the the catharsis of writing Belfast? Well, I think you put it very well, and the uh, it just got quieter, didn't it? It got quieter and. Um... I found, uh, first of all, just walking the dog, banal thing to do, but necessary every day. You heard bird song in a way you hadn't heard it before. Um, no cars on the road. Uh, but what did come into my head were the sounds of Belfast. When I left there 50 years ago, it was with um, a sense of um, sadness, also a sense of excitement. There was a new adventure. But I had begun to understand that uh, the leaving of Belfast, that profound change in the life of this nine-year-old kid and in the life of our family and so many families over there who'd been traumatized by the beginning of the troubles was something that really haunted me and um, and was not, as you might say, sort of fully processed. And I began to think that the, the story, at least from a personal point of view, had to come out. So I, I, began, to, I began to write it um, literally on March the 23rd uh, of 2020. And when I came back from my little shed in the garden at the end of the day, I switched the telly on and Boris Johnson told us we were locked down. So I thought, well, you know what? I am going to continue writing this. And, um, and as I did so, I felt as though there was a sense in which uh, 
this sort of migrant story, if you like, might have a way of reaching out to other people and connecting uh, on the sort of emotional level that I, that I was finding I was drawn to connecting with myself as I, as I started to write. Mm. I wonder too, if in letting those memories, I mean, we all sort of have those superficial memories of our childhood, that narrative, you know, that we kind of grow up with and tell ourselves. And then, but when you give yourself that space and time, often you'll be ambushed, you know, or surprised by certain things that come up. And I'm wondering if anything like that happened, and especially if you had any realizations about how those early years informed who you are today, and especially the artist you are today. Well, on one level, one saw that um, it was clearly the breeding ground for exposure to stories. Uh, television then, although three channels and black and white, was still the sort of childminding service for part of the time. Um, and so black and white movies, westerns particularly, really formed a way of understanding simplistic but very sort of powerful narratives for me about a sort of moral universe, good guys and bad guys and and, and people sort of bravely out in, in dangerous places in new lands trying to defend a, a sort of new way of living and, and uh, all the struggles that came with that. And for trips to the cinema with our family, there was this explosion of color into my life that was uh, big, big, big picture 60s movie going like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or The Great Escape or A Million Years BC or The Sound of Music or all these things that completely immersed and enveloped me in these big ritual trips that the family would make, these dark, massive palaces where it was such a contrast to the sort of the gray and the monotone of often a rainy Belfast. It's a beautiful place in my view, but it doesn't half rain a lot. And, and a sort of monochrome was how I remember the streets of my childhood. But to sort of answer your question on a more personal level, I think what, what surprised me was to try and consider and understand the sacrifice that my parents made uh, in making the choice that they made to, to deal with their relationship to uh, the troubles. And um, I think that it, was, it was, became much more of, a, it became much more of a, an exercise in a kind of compassion for what they were doing and how, how we all reacted. And I, I was reminded of that phrase, which I think is useful when you're in a difficult situation and frustrated by others. You've got to remember that you are doing the best you can, and so is everyone else. May not seem that way sometimes. In going back to 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 write this film and then to make it, it was to try and see what at the time seemed such a terrifying and terrible rupture. It seemed that before the the the, the troubles visited us, we were in if not an idyll, we were certainly in this home that was functioning. And I think that in our neighborhood, the neighborhood of this simple block, um, the idea that it takes a village to raise a child was absolutely at work with, um, in the clip you showed there, mother stands on doorstep, yells name, and via the sort of, you know, bush telegraph three streets away, you get to hear it and you come in. And, and that happened whether the mother shouting was a Protestant mother or a Catholic mother, or the kid was either of those religions, when all of that changed, not over days or months, but in an afternoon, in a couple of hours, processing that, trying to come to grips with how to adjust was, was something that, you know, writing this was part of trying to understand, and particularly how my parents, my family, and my grandparents all dealt with what was going to be a, a tremendous loss for us all. Mm. 
So in the film, the, the, the opening scenes when Buddy, your, your analog, the nine-year-old boy at the center of the film, like you said, that idyll, that, that playful back streets of Belfast scene suddenly turns violent. It's just a it flip of a switch. Is that how it was for you? I mean, do you remember the moment when you wondered, you know, that something, it all changed? Was it, was it really that stark and that um, momentary? It was, Anne. It was um, because, I mean, so many things uh, sort of settled the, 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 the sort of journey into it. It was a hot day. It was a hot summer's day in August. There was this sense, of course, that the, the civil rights movement in, in, in Belfast and in the north of Ireland had been sort of on the march, really, for the previous three years. And you could see that on the news. So even as a young person, I was aware that out there were things going on. I was aware that things were going on in America. Um, it was the summer of love, the very weekend, the very day that the story begins in this film, the Woodstock um, Film Festival, uh, the Woodstock Music Festival was happening. And um, uh, the riots in Paris had also occurred in the, um, in the previous summer. So there was a sense that the world at large had, uh, you know, much disturbance going on. Uh, but we were basically, we felt protected. But um, on that summer's day, from the sound of what seemed to me like uh, bees buzzing in my head um, that I couldn't understand because although I'd heard a bee before, I'd never heard a swarm of bees, it got so loud. And then at the bottom of the street, there was a crowd that I thought, is that, a, is that, a, is that the swarm of bees? But it wasn't, it was people. And then in that surreal slow motion realization, suddenly and literally a bomb went off, petrol bomb. And then uh, all chaos broke out, and um, and I was grabbed by my mother, and we were sort of engulfed in in this um, parade of people just panicking. The hysteria was instant. The screams of the children were instant. And when I was sort of shoved under the table in the back room, um, I remember just being being completely hysterical. My brother having to um, really sort of you know, hold on to me and calm me down because the noise outside was incredible. And then after just, I mean, it passed through like a swarm of bees, but but of such sort of um, intensity. And then there was this eerie, eerie, eerie calm. And then everybody burst out of their houses. And this activity, like I've never seen, suddenly the the ground beneath our feet was lifted up. All of these men, I don't know how they suddenly knew they must get tools, but they did. So picks and shovels came out and all of the paving stones were lifted up. And so within an, a, a couple of hours of that initial sense of what, it, what is that strange sound in the air on a beautiful summer's day, the ground from underneath our feet had been lifted up and those paving stones were now a barricade at either end of the street, which from having been a playground an hour or two before was now a fortress. When I walked back out onto the street, I, I've never seen anything like it. And it's that image, that intensity of change that really is what has haunted me and, 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 and sort of and sent me back there. Because I think the legacy in your personality is that it, it just makes you more protected. If something like that can happen, if your world can literally turn upside down, the ground from beneath your feet is taken, then in such instantaneous fashion, I think you have the slight concern that it will happen at any point in your life. So I think the guardedness that I think has, has accompanied my personality was also something that I wanted to kind of 
unpack through through looking at this story again. You know, just hearing that, uh, it's so moving and it's so sobering. And it makes me realize how easily this could have been a, a story of sheer terror, you know, of sheer kind of uncomprehension um, and terror. But you suffuse this story with so much optimism and, and so much childlike. I mean, you really preserve that point of view of the nine-year-old, um, both that kind of uncomprehension and, and misunderstanding, but then those just those funny little nine-year-old isms, you know, the first crush and the schoolyard dynamics and um, tell was it it was clearly important to you that you balance all of those um, tonal dynamics throughout the the movie? Well, uh, it's, you, you analyze it very interestingly because one of the challenges, I think, for anybody writing about Ireland, I think there is this sort of tremendous weight of history that says somehow you have to acknowledge, respect, and revere the long historical struggles across many episodes of history and many warring factions. And it's so impossible. It's, it's many greater minds than I have struggled to do this, certainly in the context of a, a play uh, or a film um, and books, I struggle to do the same thing, although some have done magnificently. I knew here that the child's point of view was key because although what you say is right about, about how one could have chosen to characterize this with that terror infusing the tone of the film it of course with the adrenaline and the cortisol levels sky high um seeing the street transformed like that also had a, a level of excitement you know it was different and i mean later on we were going to see an armored car i mean a, 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 and a tank a tank come up the street i mean this was these were, you know, so I'd seen a John Wayne film the night before with playing the Red Berets or something, and, and, and then suddenly it's, it's in your street. Um, and of course, very quickly that becomes absurd and surreal. So you can, it, it can get very, it's so extreme that it can become funny, partly because you are uh, almost hysterical. So I think you're very close to tears and you're very close to hysterical laughter as well. This was something Kieran Hines, who plays Pop and who lived ha half a mile away from me, said that. For a day or two, it seemed like the most incredible fun, the most exciting adventure, and then the hangover really kicked in. But when I thought about should this film be more political, I thought, well, what did politics mean to the nine-year-old me? Well, it would have meant more middle-aged men in suits on television talking. And I don't know that that helped me understand politics or life back then. What I understood by politics was that my access to my own street was restricted that I was being subtly encouraged to potentially do things that would ultimately perhaps involve me in joining some kind of gang slash movement slash organization, and that I, at nine, had to suddenly be very aware of that, not wanting uh, to do that and trying to recognize when it was happening. And the things that I threw myself at were the ones that I loved from before. Football, films, and a fairly hopeless crush uh, on a girl called Catherine, who was much smarter than me, rather inspiringly smarter than me, uh, always at the top of the class. But uh, a friend of mine used to put it, something to aim for. And, um, and in a way, I mean, obviously without much life experience, I think you were, you were holding on to those coping mechanisms. How can I make it the same? How can I not be, you know, carried away by this change that is unsettling everything? Um, from literally the moment I leave my front door, I am reminded 
that what used to be settled is no longer settled. There isn't a pavement anymore. When, when you have that sort of living metaphor in your life every day, I think then you just, then, then you're, you, you know, you're going to all of your default um, steadiers and minds were football and movies and romance. Absolutely well said. You know, there's a, the, 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 one of the most memorable scenes in this film, um, it, it sort of illustrates what you're getting at, that kind of dichotomy. And it, it follows the wake of a beloved character. Um, and it is a showstopper. I'd like to play it now and then circle back and, and ask you a little bit more about it. But let's, let's roll the clip. Of course, that's Jamie Dornan and Katrina Ball, who play Pa and Ma. Um, how did you see your parents? Tell us about that scene and your parents and how those things relate. Well, that scene was a response which I had seen um, sort of uh, live in, 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 in that particular instance. My father, uh, he, sees, he slept in the same room as, as as the open casket of the departed character for five days while the wake was sort of ongoing, people visiting, having a drink, sharing stories about this character. And, um, and after it, after this uh, tense and, uh, you know, taut holding onto of the grief and the real um, experience of the loss, the desire for the affirmation of life, for music, for wildness, for for screaming and shouting and singing and laughing and at, at great extremes about how you were seizing life in every moment, whether it was the, the, the people that you loved, whether it was the music that you liked, that the yin and yang of that in uh, the yin and yang in, in, in Ireland, you know, where literally in, in, in grief, you know, as in different cultures, but we refer to it as keening when you see people's whole bodies possessed by uh, the, 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 the act of sobbing um, that is so painful and, and, and probably necessary, and it needs its opposite. Uh, my, my mother loved dancing, my uh, father, so I loved to see her dancing, and they had a tremendous, you know, fizz, a tremendously passionate relationship. Um, and I think that Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfe um, they, they're an immensely sort of glamorous pair, but they also, I think, uh, represent what a nine-year-old can sometimes see in terms of idealizing his, his parents, um, as well as seeing the drama of it. So certainly the, the, the crockery flying across the kitchen uh, in moments of dispute was something I most certainly uh, witnessed. Um, and, and this, um, I would say, particularly say with my mother, the, the sort of fieriness of the sort of Irish warrior queens and the, the women who ran this society, thank God, um, who suffered so much and bore so much. Um, she, she, she brings that, that quality, that, that large-hearted quality that is so, 
you know, indicative of the Irish who, as, as Katrina put it once, you know, they're so quick to laugh, to, to fight, to argue, to love. And that sort of, um, that very vital, very fizzy energy between uh, my parents was what Jamie and Katrina caught, I think, in a way. And then in this scene we've just looked at, uh, Everlasting Love at the Wake, they just uh, released that, um, you know, desire to affirm that um, they've come through something. In fact, I quoted, it sounds a sort of ridiculous thing to bring up, but there's a series of poems by D.H. Lawrence, uh, which he wrote um, after a very traumatic time as he became involved with Frida Weekly, who left her husband and her three children to elope with Lawrence. And they were subject to every kind of drama, heartbreaking for all concerned. But he eventually wrote a, a volume of, of poems called Look We Have Come Through. Very small um, volume, and, and the poem is often quite simple. There's an absolutely beautiful poem called By Henef, which I recommend to all. But um, I remember talking on that day, on that dance floor, with this popular song, and saying to Katrina, remember that, look, we have come through. Not everybody gets to be able to say that in a relationship. And uh, it might be a small victory, but sometimes in, in, in terms of the, the challenging business of being in love and being married, it can be something really relish. Mm, wonderful. We have a question from Twitter. Jack asks, I heard that Belfast was made in about 25 days, which amazed me. I want to ask, how do you maximize time so that it is efficient, and how do you control all of it to keep it organized? I think that's a question we all have about life. <laughs> it is a question about life. Um, well, like life, uh, Belfast, in fact, could not be achieved in 25 days. Uh, it was, it took probably 35 days, I think. Um, uh, how did we do it? Well, well, yeah, it's still, it's still swift. Um, uh, but, you know, they say freedom means having no choice. So what were the choices we didn't have? Well, we couldn't do anything about COVID. We'd just come out of the first lockdown. And so our protocols were tight. It meant that there were shorter days. And so I had to be very decisive about what I wanted to shoot and when and how and where. Uh, we had young children uh, with uh, limited working hours because, of course, they had to continue their education. Again, it just makes you very, very decisive about what you do. We had good fortune. The sun shone in that summer of 2020 uh, in the UK and in Belfast. Um, and it led me to do what I had been doing since I uh, began work on the script, which was to try and follow my instinct. So whether that was to shoot in black and white, whether that was to put the camera at the height of the boy of, of nine, you know, often at his literal head height, um, and, and how to stage a, a, a scene where it might all take place in one shot. That's a time saver, although you can't do it just because it's saving time. Nobody's going to say, nobody's going to whistle out of a cinema going, God, what an amazing schedule that was. Uh, it's only going to work if the film is any good. But those decisions, of course, are now based on a great deal of experience uh, of, of, of making films. Um, and so I... I and access to instinct. And then, of course, I am blessed in a lot of regular collaborators. My first assistant director, cinematographer, editor, uh, many of the actors here, including the great Judy Dench. These are people who also make it possible because they come on and they are so ready. Um, so we, 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 we had the discipline enforced, imposed of COVID. And then we had the, the brilliance of regular collaborators. 
Uh, and then we had a great deal of luck. You know, I know you mentioned um, that so many of your cast members came from this area, right? I mean, Jamie, Kieran, I think Katrina, all kind of emanated from, from did you find that their memories coincided with yours or um, converged on yours? Or did they diverge? Did you talk? I mean, this is such a memory piece, it's such a personal memory piece, but then I wonder how the collective memory also informed it and whether you, what those conversations were like. Well, I like that way of, um, of uh, pointing to the collective memory. It was what I think we tried to do from day one was I, in a way, I didn't discourage, but I, 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 I posited the idea that a, an encyclopedic questioning of me for details about every element of my parents' life or my grandparents' life would be fine. But what we started with was actually talking about their family. So, for instance, Katrina Balf has a very interesting story. She grew up in Monon, which is on the, the border. Uh, she had a very lively sense of the volatility in, in, in the world of segregation. Her father was a Garda sergeant of so the Irish police. That's not a, an easy thing um, to um, negotiate when you're in a, a place where opposite communities are, are, are in, in conflict. So Katrina had some very interesting insights about, about just the level of uh, volatility on a day-to-day -day basis when you went shopping, with bomb scares, all of that. Same with Jamie. Jamie, Jamie Dornan was talking about how uh, when he'd bring, you know, friends back who'd be from England um, and uh, they would say, yeah, oh, that's a, what was that noise? That was a, a, a car backfiring. And he would say, no, that was a bomb. I say, you're kidding me. And he switched the television on, and 10 minutes later, the bomb would be reported. He wasn't blasé about this. He, it was sort of built into his DNA. Uh, Kieran had, uh, you know, the same experience as I had because he was, he was on the other side of the park. He was on the Catholic side of the park. I was on the Protestant side of the park. But we saw and eventually saw the massive wall that now divides those two uh, communities in, in Alexander Park, which is the park next to, next to our house. Um, and he brought his father was a doctor who worked on who worked for both religions, where and treated anybody, um, was much respected from both communities. With so they all had a ton of experience, uh, and and also from young Jude Hill, uh, our ten year old star. You know, you also had the fascinated experience of someone who, thank goodness, has not lived through this. So his innocence about this, in a way, real Jude in the real here and now, was something that really authentically infused this. In the same way as my own nine-year-old self was completely perplexed by how this thing could happen from a position of us all apparently, you know, liking each other and getting on. So all of those personal experiences made their own blend. And I think they got quite quickly away from anything documentary style about, about my life, which clearly inspired it. But from an emotional point of view, allowed all of them to own it. Mm. You mentioned that the film just opened in, in England. Has it opened in Northern Ireland yet? It is the uh, biggest movie in Northern Ireland and the biggest opening bar Spider-Man um, for uh, as long as we can remember. It's, it's on in every single cinema that's open in Northern Ireland. Well, and I cannot um, ignore the fact that we just recognized the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday and to have this movie be something that people can go to and, like you said, process their own memories and their own evolving understanding of these events and wherever they kind of um, 
however they affected it, but I'm sure it's a very powerful experience for the audiences. I think that there's, there's I've, I've heard from people in the north of Ireland that there's a great sense of pride and a great sense that the um, the compassion that we try to find in the film for, you know, the, the, the complete experience is something that um, can be a tiny but valuable part of the mosaic that is processing the experience of very, very traumatic and defining events like the one you mentioned. Uh, but also the the lifetime. My lifetime has been leaving at the beginning of 30 years of um, violence that cost the lives of 3,700 people and wreak havoc way beyond that. Um, and then 25 or so years of um, a challenged peace and one that is more fragile than ever in the wake of uh, Brexit. Um, but uh, I think the sense of an enormous and important and at its best uh, important story, occasionally inspiring, sometimes tragically disturbing, but the story of a, of a nation um, across a lifetime that has gone through a quite staggering period of, of, of development and learning is something that people can't, you know, if you're from there or even if you're just watching from, it's, it's quite an extraordinary arc of experience for one group of people. And stories like this, I think, many stories in many media are, are part of letting people absorb and, and understand that. Indeed. Um, Kenneth Branagh, we are unfortunately out of time. I also had to get ready to go to a screening tonight of a little movie called Death on the Nile. <laughs> well, I, I hope you enjoy that. There's an Irish You never quit, it. Kenneth Branagh, and we are the, <laughs> the better for it. Back, back home, they say, you know, it's like waiting for buses. You know, you wait for hours for one and then three come along at once. So my, my apologies. But but the Irishman in that is secretly in the disguise of a Belgian sleuth called Hercule Poirot. So you'll never know it was me. I'll look out for him. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kenneth. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.